Hi, friends. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our usual interviews. I do have a guest on the call, but today the roles are going to be switched. We have Mother Atemwa Mahendran back, and today she has offered to hold a loving container for me as I grieve the loss of my beloved canine companion, our dog, who I've known for the last almost 11 years, who passed away in August. His name was Rudy. We recorded this conversation about a week and a half after he passed away. So as you will hear, the emotions are still pretty raw. I just wanted you to know (laughs) this episode is special to me because I think we sometimes forget the way in which animals in our lives change everything. And so while this episode is dedicated to Rudy and is a testament and tribute to my love for him, it is also an invitation into deep remembering for all of us to the ways in which the animals in our lives shape us and who we are profoundly. And that includes how we see, how we feel, and our multisensory experience of our intuition. I also just want to let you know that I am going to be holding a monthly virtual event to support the intuitively aligned community in setting intentions for the month ahead. And I've set the date for the very first one. It's going to be on Wednesday, November 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So come play with me. I would love, love for you to be there. Welcome to the Intuitively Aligned Podcast, a place for changemakers to cultivate their intuition and foster greater impact in their everyday lives. I am your guide, Sydney Bloom. I think I felt how much you two were connected and how much of your story and who you are now that he's shaped. And when I saw your share about him passing and the fact that it was sudden, I think the part of me that knows sudden loss so intimately just became more tender to that situation. And I know when you've loved that hard and that deep, and when like a being is just part of who you are, I know how much words don't do justice. Even photos don't do justice because how will you explain to people who either know or don't know this being that there is no you without them and knowing how hard that is when you're in the thick of grief but also how much of a channel storytelling can be for metabolizing grief and especially in that moment I think in order to tell a story generally it knowing that it's being held and listened to is important but particularly when you're moving through grief not having to hold the container while you're telling the story but still this telling the story it's still a lot but to know that you are being held in that and no matter what oozes out of you or which way it oozes out it will be contained in some way and that there will be another side and that there is a witness and 
at some point, some of the ooze will evaporate, some of it will seep out, but at the end of the day, like your being is still intact and someone is watching for that so that you don't have to. I think that we don't do that enough for each other. I think we inherently know how to, we're just scared of the ooze sometimes. Uh, our own, each other's, the way someone else's ooze mirrors our ooze back to us. So that's why I wanted to extend that offer and I trust that wherever we end up is where we're meant to go. Thank you. I feel so grateful because I do think it's really hard to know how to show up when we are in grief or how we can show up for others. And so the invitation to have a conversation where I could share about Rudy felt so nourishing. And then the fact that you offered to do it as a podcast also just really, really resonated and landed for me because I'd already been thinking about that episode. Rudy was my soulmate from another dimension. And when we met, he was probably four or five weeks old. And I met him in a totally different chapter of life. Rudy actually helped select Dan as my partner, but I met Rudy in the chapter before meeting Dan and before our love story and creating our family. And at the time when Rudy came into my life, I was in a different relationship and this past partner and I went, I actually was looking for a puppy on Kijiji and saw the photos and arranged a time to go and see the puppies. And there were a handful of puppies that were left and they were all so cute. And the way that I know Rudy is that all the puppies were so cute. But when we left, Rudy started talking to me from a distance. There was a female puppy that I was 100% set that was going to be the dog that we would get. So Rudy was this beautiful beast. And I, I say beast sort of playfully because he's the most gentle, angelic being in this body of a very strong, muscular dog. And in his eldership, I would joke that Rudy's like a retired pro athlete. Even to his very last day, he's muscular and handsome and you can still see what some people called the apricot brindle of his coat which means that he had tiger stripes but his tiger stripes were inverted so typically when you see these bullier breeds of dogs with the striped pattern in their coat it's a darker coat with lighter stripes but Rudy's coat was more gingery with darker stripes and markings and he had white feet so even in the wintertime, people would think, oh, is he wearing white boots? But it was his paws that were white. He was such a beautiful dog that literally his whole life, people would pull their cars over to stop and admire him or to talk about their boxers. I remember when he was a puppy having construction workers hollering to Rudy, not to me, not to anyone I was with, to Rudy literally kind of lovingly catcalling him for how <laughs> handsome he was as a, a, a creature walking on earth. So he's a beautiful, beautiful dog. 
in the context of his litter that he was born into, many of the other puppies were much flashier. And flash refers to patches of white on dogs that are darker in color. So anyway, when we met the puppies, there was this little shit disturber of a puppy who was climbing over the fence and she had really beautiful white patches, like a patch on her eye and a very flashy looking puppy. And so we'd said, okay, we're going to take this female dog. And there were a couple of other puppies that we'd played with. And that was kind of decided. And there'd been a moment of saying, oh, well, maybe we could take both the boy and the girl because Rudy was the other one we're looking at. And we we're like, no, 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 we're going to get this one. But as soon as we left, I was like, oh, I love that little boy dog. I loved him so much. That must have been on a Saturday or a Sunday. And I spent my commute all week thinking about Rudy and thinking about, well, is there a way to take two puppies? How could we take two? But I'd explicitly said to the person selling the puppies, we're going to take the female puppy. And all week I was like, that little boy puppy was just so sweet. And I looked through my photos and I realized I'd only taken photos of Rudy. And I was looking at those photos. And then Saturday rolled around and I was a part of a United Way fundraiser where we did a CN Tower stair climb. So I think it was something like 140 flights of stairs to the top of the CN Tower. One, I'm not a hardcore athlete. Although at that time I was very physically active, but I was really trying to prepare for the stair climb. And I lived in a condo that had like 40 flights of stairs and I kept like climbing the stairs and Rudy just kept coming into my mind. And even during the CN Tower stair climb where not to be graphic, but like people were like vomiting down the stairwells. Like it was gross <laughs> and sweaty. Like all I could think about for that time that I was climbing the CN Tower was he's the one, he's the one. And the person I was with at the time, I thought was really into the sort of flashiness of this other dog. And we met afterwards later that day to go for a brunch and sat down. And I knew that I had to tell him that Rudy was the dog that we'd be getting. And we sat down and he said to me, we have to get the boy dog. And I was like, yeah, that's what I needed to tell you too. So clearly that was it. That was decided. So then I called the person who was selling him. And I remembered that there were three appointments booked right after we had seen the puppies. So the guy who had been selling them said, you know, pick your puppy. I've got people coming right after. They might all go quickly. So just let me know the one that you want. And that we'd said, okay, we'll take the little girl. And I called him immediately to say, well, we want the little boy. And he laughed and he said, all the other appointments got canceled. You can have whatever dog you want. And so in that moment, I thought, oh, this is a very clear manifestation. So we took Rudy. And that was a really difficult year. I had to make some very brave decisions, navigating a mindful ending of a long relationship, moving, navigating a very difficult chapter at work where project partners were out of integrity and where I was being harassed by somebody whose own organization never really took appropriate accountability for it, even though my organization did right by me. When I look back, the fall of 2013 was this time when 
so many aspects of my life were like cracking open, crumbling down. And it was just a time to like redefine myself and begin again and reopen to my spirituality in a much bigger way. And the difference in that time compared to years before is that Rudy was with me. And I cried with him. We went on incredible walks. One thing I want to mention is that, and, and I think anybody who's had a dog will understand this, especially if you're open to receiving the love and the medicine that comes with having a companion animal, is that before I had Rudy, I struggled to get up in the morning. I would barely eat breakfast. I would drag my ass to work. There was no intentionality about the way in which I rose to the day. And as soon as he came into my life, he brought intentionality and devotion and ritual into my day in a way that gave me life. Starting my day with my companion in nature, receiving the sunrise, receiving the beauty of how every single day is different, witnessing the day-by-day transformation in nature and in ourselves. Having a companion who people would stop and admire, he would actually go over to people who would then say to me, oh, my boxer just passed away. And Rudy would pick them. Like he'd see somebody across an intersection and pull me over to someone. And we would spend five minutes so that that person could then be held through his presence to share their love and their grief around the companion that they had just lost. And this happened many times. So there was something in his presence that not only changed my daily life and my sense of vitality and my connection to unconditional expansive love, but he really brought that to everybody who he met. One interesting thing that happened through Rudy is that he started to give me information in my client sessions. Mm -hmm. So I was already giving intuitive readings and Rudy would come and I could read what was going on by just watching him, Mm -hmm. like in 30 seconds. And if there was something about Rudy that wasn't settled, I could just watch him for a minute and it was exactly the information that my client needed. Or there would be times that he would come and just curl up in a ball and I would understand that this person was now in like a very grounded safe place but watching the way he responded to other people's energy he became a conduit for me in terms of sensing where to begin with people and typically I'd have my own thoughts about where I should start and if I was pulling cards for people or how we should go And there would often be times where I'd be getting into something and then I would just look at Rudy and remember something much more basic that needed to be said that would then actually create the opening and the ease and the grace for the person who is my sitter. So he really, really expanded the container of healing and receptivity in terms of the intuitive work that I do. If I had to say, we for sure have had many love affairs (laughs) in past lives. In my first year with him, I really felt like 
it felt like he was coming in with protection for me, which interestingly would also get mirrored in real life where I'd go jogging in what is like a pretty raw downtown neighborhood in Toronto. Like I remember jogging on the street where the old, I don't think it's there anymore or they've like renovated it now, but one of the most, some might say scary homeless shelters. I was jogging in like tiny short shorts and a tank top and we'd literally jogged from downtown up to the evergreen brickworks through the Rosedale Valley. Cause remember Rudy was a pro athlete, even though I wasn't, so we could do those kind of things. And coming back downtown, I thought, oh, this looks like a cute street. I've never explored this part of Cabbage Town. And it turns out every possible underground economy that could exist was happening in one block Mm. in front of this building that looked like a prison. And I just remember because Rudy and I talked without words, I said to him, all right, baby, they're going to look at you. They're not going to look at me. (laughs) And we would do that, right? It was like a shape-shifting where when I was out and there were a whole bunch of transitional housing programs, which is the kind of work that I did at the time. So my way of seeing and relating to people in public space is profoundly open and reciprocal in a way that I believe creates safety for me because the way in which people receive me is one where they know that I see them. I'm not, I'm not pretending I can't see people. I'm not scared of the trauma that they've endured that's so obvious when you see someone's outward appearance or their physical limitations or whatever, right? Like all of the things that come after people have experienced these profound kinds of trauma that I don't even think most people I know could imagine. I don't even think I know, frankly. And Rudy was always my broker in these public spaces. And I remember jogging down that street and people called out to Rudy Mm. because he's so beautiful. And so in that way, he really was like a guide and a protector and had this majesty to him. I remember one time watching this guy who had like, like, I'm again, like people who most people would just judge in the street, right? I literally think He was like cussing out his girlfriend. I think she poured a drink all over him. They were having a wicked fight. And again, in this neighborhood that was, some people would say is dangerous. He had like teardrop tattoos, like someone not to be fucked with. And I was like, all right, Rudy, (laughs) we're just going to walk on by. And the guy called out to Rudy and, and asked if he could pat him and shared a moment with him. And then we went on our way. Again, to see the way in which holding a neutral presence and having this incredible creature as my companion would be healing and uplifting and transformative for people who, if I had been alone, and I remember like moving in that neighborhood when I didn't have him with me, completely different experience. I just wouldn't walk those streets on my own. And that's how I knew what Rudy's power was. And it wasn't in the way that somebody would say, oh, like he could be like a guard dog for you. It wasn't like that. It wasn't that he scared people. He loved people. It wasn't that he scared people. He loved people. For so many people, their circumstances might have been really difficult. 
their lives may have been difficult. The way in which Rudy would stop at a crowd of maybe 25 people probably waiting to go in for a hot meal with people smoking and speaking in loud voices and maybe even kind of being a bit playful with each other. But to someone passing by might have thought, oh, it's like a really rough group of people. And I literally feel like the seas would part because people would see him. And one by one, we'd walk by and each each of these older sort of street-involved men would just stop and pat Rudy and tell him the story of the dogs that they had loved or the boxers that they had known or where they had lived in the countryside. And so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it was like Rudy would meet people in their highest self and and bring them back to their place of love or empowerment. And as we know, often that happens with animals, right? Because they're not judging us. They're not speaking back. They're not being defensive. We're sometimes defensive or in our ego or self-protective. And I just was so gifted to witness this. And, and sharing these stories is reminding me of one more episode that I need to share from like the early years of Rudy. I remember one day we were jogging and there was a gentleman who used a wheelchair sitting at the corner. And it just seemed to me like something was wrong. So we stopped and I think Rudy looked first. And I looked and it just didn't make sense to leave. So I think I kind of walked back to where we'd come from and walked again just to allow a little bit of time to see if I've learned anything in terms of my intuition, it's that it can be really helpful to just allow a little bit of space when you're not sure what to do. And I feel so strongly about respecting people's autonomy and their own empowerment that I'm not someone to quickly jump in and try to like be a helper, be a savior or something like that. That's not my jam. But it did seem odd. Even the direction that this man was facing in his chair didn't look like where he would have wanted. Like it wouldn't be the way someone who was navigating to go somewhere would have stopped. And he wasn't saying anything and quite a bit older. So finally, after maybe five minutes, I thought, I'm just going to go over and ask, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? And right away he spoke. And he spoke with a very, very strong speech impediment. It was hard to understand what he was saying. But I quickly understood that his wheelchair had broken, that he was a block and a half from home. He lived in one of the buildings on Queen East. I think he wasn't sure what to do, and he didn't want to ask for help. And he was also quite a big guy. And this is a story about Rudy, because we're talking about experiences that happen with this companion who would bring me into seeing what was happening in the world around me in the interconnected reality that we all share and so I think part of remembering the early years of Rudy is really reminding me it's reminding me just how much he changed my way of seeing and my way of being and in the end with Rudy, I think I had him actually strapped around my waist with one of those waist jogger things. 
Rudy was strapped to my waist. I'm trying to push this gentleman manually up a hill toward Queen Street, which was physically impossible. I I literally stopped and saw there was a man walking by, looked like he was going on a date, <laughs> like dressed up. And I just said, I really need your help. Could, any chance you can help us? We're just going up to Queen Street and then around the corner. And this guy stopped and helped us. And we pushed this gentleman back to his building, which it turns out was actually, I, I was sort of astonished because it's a building where people who were like very deep in their addictions would be using on the front steps and police would always be parked in front of that building. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, you mean this person who to me felt like a frail, vulnerable, older adult, hilarious, charismatic, even with a speech impediment that I could barely understand. I had to ask him like five times to repeat what he was saying because it was that hard to understand him, but he was so charming, you know, was living in this space. And we managed to get him back to the building and then there was a ramp and someone who worked in the building came out and it just opened my eyes so much. And because of being a young woman or maybe just because of the way our society is, I don't think I necessarily would have had the courage to stop and help this man if I was by myself. Just like I wouldn't have walked on those streets to go to the subway or to get to where I needed to go by myself, I would have found a different route. But with Rudy by my side, he opened connection with people. He created safety for all of us. And I don't think that gift can be underestimated. And I think he gave me that sort of seeing and being and and bravery and awareness to actually start to bring that into my work. I didn't start to do work in truth and reconciliation as a settler person until after Rudy came into my life. I didn't have the courage to ask my Indigenous colleagues if they could help me learn how to show up in a good way until after Rudy was in my life. When one of my colleagues said, that she had been calling in her ancestors for days and then a white-bellied hawk landed just on the branch outside of our gathering and stayed for two and a half hours during our whole meeting, which was really a, a series of rituals that culminated with a commitment to collaboration. I don't think I could have understood the sacredness of what was happening. But because Rudy was in my life, I learned to see and experience and receive these subtle forms of spirit, both in humanity and in the animal world and in our interconnection with the unseen realms in, in so many different ways. I do want to say on a really fun note that when I first met my husband and we went on our first date, We'd had this incredible brunch where I just felt so excited to really start to understand all of our intersections and synergies and the potential for adventure together. 
Hmm. We finished and he was dressed really cute. And I thought, well, why not have Rudy meet Dan? We need to see what Rudy thinks. And seeing how Rudy is with Dan will tell me everything. Hmm. And so I said, are you up for a dog walk? And he said, sure. And we went and got Rudy and went on a walk in Riverdale Park. And there was this moment where Rudy and Dan were having so much fun. And Rudy went bounding through the mud because it had rained earlier. And then he saw Dan. Like, I don't think Dan called him. He saw Dan and went running back to Dan and literally leapt up in the air, almost as if he was leaping into his arms, but with muddy paws. Dan is dressed to the, like, whatever your sort of, like, sexiest casual brunch look would be (laughs) is how he looked with this gorgeous coat on. And I was like, this is the moment. This is the moment that I asked Rudy for to show me who I'm dealing with here. And Rudy's a big dog. Rudy jumped paws up onto Dan. And Dan just laughed and played with Rudy and looked at me and was like, it's totally fine. Because he was covered in mud. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, okay, you can be my human. (laughs) I have a soulmate already, but you can be my human. (laughs) You can be my human. Or if Dan had looked at me and been like, I can't believe you let your dog jump on me or some shit, it would have been done. Yeah. (laughs) But it wouldn't have been because that never, Dan, it just never would have happened like that because I actually think that Dan and Rudy are soulmates too. And so there's that. (laughs) Yeah. Are you open to another question? Sure. Your, your voice, like, deepens into like some other reserve and your eyes light up and there's like if awe had a sound that comes out whenever you talk about Rudy's majesty and like regalness when you say those words it's coming from some other source and I think in hearing that and seeing that reflected in your physical being as you talk about him one question that comes up is how did Rudy's kingdom shift over the course of his lifetime and what was it like to be in around a part of that kingdom over the course of his life when Rudy was in his first six years his kingdom was so bright his world and the world that he brought us into because pretty much when Dan and I met, it was just like, I knew the day after Dan and my first date that I was going to marry him. My friend Jane, who I sat with at the time that I met Dan at work said to me, Oh my gosh, you and Dan are going to, he's going to be your boyfriend. You're going to go to burning man you're going to get married and then you're going to have beautiful half Persian babies together. And I think she told it like it would be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. And in that season of life where in a way, Dan, Rudy and I became a unit together very quickly, almost an organism is how I've come to view it. Rudy just kept bringing love and joy and expansion into our world. 
And it's funny how as human beings, we can get more comfortable digging deeper into whatever the groove is that we're in. And so if your rhythm is to be a certain way when you wake up and then to go about your day in that way, it can sometimes take like a really electrifying force to open up and change your world. And I think the sort of power that Rudy's being had in my life and in our life together was evidence enough that I would need that any kind of transformation is possible mm-hmm. for humans in life. And we had incredible adventures. I remember, and, and every adventure would be exponentially magnified because if we included Rudy, we would figure out all these other aspects to it. Mm-hmm. So Dan planned a surprise trip for me and my parents early on to go to Quebec to this illuminated night walk put on by Moment Factory. It was called Foresta Lumina. And it's a night walk experience in the gorge of Quatico, Quebec. And of course, Rudy came with us to Quebec and we found an Airbnb that would be dog. Well, and we, I mean, we, Dan found this Airbnb that was dog friendly and we just had these incredible walks because Rudy was with us. Rudy met this farm dog and they just had their own adventures running through the fields and rolling like leaping and rolling and just going wild. You asked about what's what was Rudy's kingdom like or what was Rudy's, how did he hold his court, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way that, that that happened was with so much love and expansion for everybody. I mean, he had a deep and beautiful relationship with my mom and it deepened during the time that I was pregnant, like during my pregnancies And with newborns and through the pandemic, Rudy became so much closer with my mom and they would go for walks and he and my dad were close and they would all go for walks. So there's a a very beautiful weaving that would happen. And obviously coming into our house is a lot, like there's little kids and they're screaming for their grandparents and everybody's excited. But if my parents forgot because they were receiving leaping children and hugging us, to properly stop and recognize Rudy and give him a pat and a cuddle, he would literally follow them and he didn't bark, but he would do this like, ow, like kind of like yowl at them, like in a very (laughs) playful way, like, oh, like, come on, don't forget, don't forget, I'm here too. Yeah. And so in that way, I think he brought a lot of playfulness and joy and grace, even in the ways that he commanded attention. You know, I hadn't remembered the way that he welcomed anyone into his world until we started this conversation, remembering all of the people that I met with him on walks and runs downtown, remembering the different neighbors that we had who had relationships with him the number of dogs and dog people whose fear of big dogs transformed through knowing Rudy. So many people had that experience. People who would cross the street with their little tiny dogs, their little fluff balls, would cross the street because they would see me walking with Rudy. 
And I would say, oh, is your dog not friendly? And of course, they were judging Rudy, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then they would sort of mumble their way through saying that they didn't know if my dog was friendly. And I'd say, oh, no, he's he's a gentle giant. He's super friendly. And, And in that way, Rudy didn't just grow his own kingdom. I think he really won over hearts and minds of other humans and of small dogs that had sort of like Napoleon syndrome because he was just so happy to connect. And he was so willing to be submissive so that a dog with anxiety or fear could stand on his chest, (laughs) would just be happy rolling on his back, letting it happen. The number of photos we have of dogs that we've never seen again who had magical moments with him are so many. So yeah, his kingdom was very loving and very expansive and in a way teaches so much about leadership which I hadn't thought about, but it makes sense reflecting with you now because thinking back on it, I was in my period of most rapid growth professionally as a collaborator, as a social change maker in those early years with Rudy. And so now looking back, of course, that's what was happening because he was leading by example in this way that was just so transformative. One thing that I do want to mention too, or like another aspect of his life and his legacy and the teachings that he left us with was how things changed after Rudy tore his back left knee. So at the peak of his career (laughs) at the peak of his strength and endurance and wild adventures Rudy tore his knee I think we did not serve him well from his very earliest puppyhood till that point because he could just jump so high who wouldn't want to throw a ball up and see him leap up on his back legs and jump in the air to catch it and keep running, you know, like he just had this strength and this stamina. And so he ended up having a surgery on his knee. And after the surgery, there was a year. And I mean, I can't remember the vet maybe said four to six weeks on leash. And then after that, you know, no wild running in the dog park for several months. And because his right back leg was also tender it had a partial tear but the vet had said that it would heal naturally and it did we basically kept him on leash for a year because we felt so protective that we didn't want him to just get through healing this one knee and either have it blow again or have the other knee tear which is a very common happening with these kinds of recoveries and I think that that year on leash maybe made him I'm gonna cry like I think he thought he did something wrong and I think Dan and I hold a lot of guilt around not knowing what we could have done differently because that surgery also changed him emotionally he developed an anxiety we had never known before he became afraid of fireworks and thunder 
he he would shake if we left him alone we also got married and entered into the chapter of life where we grew our family and so in a way I think we became much closer with Rudy than ever before because we'd bought a house Dan and I were both working from home I would often come and sleep on the couch beside Rudy when I was pregnant because I would be uncomfortable in our bed so there were all of these gentle gracious moments with him into that next chapter and we certainly started to literally bring him everywhere with us there's a garden called Rosetta McLean around the corner from us that's it's supposed to be the most spectacular place for bird watching in Canada or something and we literally never went there because it's you're not allowed to bring a dog and we wouldn't we wouldn't just go somewhere that we couldn't bring Rudy because why wouldn't we go somewhere where we could all be together you know but the last third of his life was definitely, I think, harder in a way because of the physical injury that he had, because of the recovery, because of the trauma. And I also think that was confronting because it forces us to confront our own mortality, our own inability to control everything, that even when you think you're doing the right thing by someone you love, it can fuck them up and it can fuck you up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think that I'm not alone in the grief that I hold around that. Yeah. Rudy grew into this incredible elder dog who would still expand people's hearts and still, you know, he and us having children, we realized just how patient and just how kind and loving he was. Because he would have babies crawling on him. Obviously, we would take them off or show our kids how to treat him well and how to be gentle with him. And up until the very end, like both kiddos would every day bring him his greeny chewy because that became a ritual. And so in a way, even the children wanted to love and serve Rudy because he was this force of majesty in his home, even in this quieter chapter where he would often be resting on his bed there was a time where I realized he's spending half or more of his time with us in dream world hmm. as opposed to being in in the earth realm and particularly in the earth realm having dog experiences hmm. because I think he held a lot of space over the last four years for us and our human experiences as our companion in the house our period of having a baby and then pregnancies and another baby and it was locked down in Toronto and so even Rudy I think suffered for the fact that there was social distancing happening there was so much fear at that time and so I think like all of these layers of things impacted him and also brought like a deeper appreciation to us for who he was and reinforced to us over the last two years or the last year and a half that when we're not at home resting or when yeah when when that whenever possible if we are out with Rudy we want him to be living his best dog life and that that experience of him being awake but not just awake with humans at home, 
in the fold, but actually out smelling the smells, running, seeing other dogs to give him as much of that as possible that would not force him to stay in the earth realm, but that he could enjoy being a dog for however much longer he had. That was something that has been very conscious to me, very conscious for me over the last year, for sure. And Dan and I talked about that. And I think we did it. I think we succeeded in coming out of lockdowns, coming out of the newborn phase, having our children both be a little bit older, even if it's still toddler and a young child, but that our family could grow into a stage of maturity where Rudy in his eldership could enjoy those things. So you shared a little bit, a little bit with me on the voice note about how he passed and the physical experience of that. Is that something you want to kind of share or process here in this moment? I mean, yeah, I guess I will share a little bit, which is just that in the lead up to Rudy's death, I was actually sleeping downstairs beside him. And it just gave me so much joy to be with Rudy, even though he wasn't the cuddly puppy that he once was and he isn't allowed on the couches nor can he really climb up and down the couch just having him on his bed and me on the couch side by side I could appreciate his presence and I started practicing sensing him because you know that I do spiritual mediumship work not that it matters but I think it's very easy to try to construct the way a relationship is rather than to let ourselves witness it and be in it and sense it so that then when the physical reality changes, we have a different kind of remembrance of the sensing. And I felt very clear that energetically he wouldn't be going anywhere, but that I would benefit in my practice if I could sense him before he went so that after he went I could still sense him I had this premonition a few weeks before Rudy passed away at the beginning of this summer I sensed that we were entering into our last chapter with Rudy and my hope was that he would make it through the summer or that we would maybe have one more year And that it would be up to him and that I wouldn't want to like force him to stay beyond what worked for him. And during this time where I was sleeping on the couch beside Rudy, I started talking to his spirit. Like I would just lay on the couch and asked, can you help me understand how you want to go? What would serve your best and highest? Because who knows? Who knows what that's like? And I I felt into it. And what I felt was that if our wish and if his wish was that he could live his life to the fullest and enjoy every day and be healthy, it would really serve him to go quickly. And I didn't see us putting him down because that's the other thing that's just brutal when you have an elder animal who's not well and who's in pain and who's suffering is to have to make that decision. And I sort of pleaded with him and said, I don't want to have to make that decision. 
And it just landed in my awareness that he might have a seizure and go. And I didn't say it to anyone because you don't want to call that in as, you know, it's kind of brutal to even have those thoughts. These are some of the spiritual experiences and thoughts that I have where there's like a level of discernment around when and how and what should you say. But it gave me peace to have that sensation that it could be possible for him when it's his time to go quickly and to not suffer and to go on his own terms. In the end, there was something that happened that's hard to explain. Rudy woke up, walked over to me. I pat him and chatted with him for a minute. He went, walked into the kitchen, had some water, did a normal Rudy round on the first floor, went to the back door, and he and I went outside together. And he did his complete normal morning routine, relieving himself, smelling the bushes, walking the perimeter of the yard. And then he looked at me. And when he looked at me, I understood that he didn't want to come back in. And I felt like he was saying goodbye. And then he went into a bush that he's never walked into and started digging. And I sort of like snapped back into my human out of my spirit conversation with him and thought, oh, he got sprayed by a skunk a few months ago. I don't want that to happen again. I wonder what's going on. I like forgot what was happening and called him and he came and we went back inside. And within moments, he was convulsing, and I held him in my arms until a neighbor was able to come to help Dan carry Rudy to the car, and they drove to an emergency vet. It was like Rudy left the house. Immediately, the kids woke up. Dan said that as the vet was telling him that they would recommend putting him down because there wouldn't be a way for him to come back. I view the realm between dimensions like there's like a portal or a tunnel, and when I was holding Rudy, I actually could see him going into the tunnel. And I was holding him saying, like, I was literally cheering him on, <laughs> like, in shock, right? Like, I wasn't crying because maybe I was. I have no idea what I was doing. But I remember being like, you're okay. You can do it. You can get there. You don't need to stay here for us. Like, you go. You go. You're there now. Like, I could feel him leaving. And I felt sad that I didn't get to take him to the very end but I don't I've heard with dogs my parents had a farm dog and they lived in the country for many years and my mom always said when a dog is ready to go they want to wander out into nature and dig a hole and go on their own which he asked me to do <laughs> and I didn't let him but what it meant was that when he got to the vet as the vets were bringing him inside he went on his own as the vet was telling Dan that they would recommend putting him down. And so I'm like, I can't even imagine what Dan went through at that moment. But it felt right to me for Rudy because I think he needed to be in his own energy to feel like he could really go. The day before he died, I feel like he had so much grace around how he went because one of my best friends is having her second child. And I felt so much tenderness around facilitating a very tiny but intimate gathering for her. For months, she said she didn't want to do a baby shower. And I'd sort of said to her for months, like, if you decide you want to just get a handful of friends together and do a little tea party, we'll do a blessing way ceremony. 
And finally, one day she said to me, yeah, I think we can do it. Like, let's do it. And so her blessing way ceremony was the day before Rudy passed. And when Rudy was a puppy and I lived in a condo building, one of his very favorite most things, I talked a lot about Rudy with older sort of rough men out in the streets, but one of Rudy's very favorite things was to ride the elevator and smell the legs of women. (laughs) And it's like he loved lotion and he loved perfume. <laughs> when I started using essential oils and when he was a puppy, if I put lotion on my legs, he'd come and try to lick off the lotion. Like he loved lotion. And obviously we didn't know that he was about to die the day of this baby shower. But as eat and and we were gathering friends of my friend who I'd never met before. So it was maybe like six women, four of which were new to me. And as each woman came to the door, every friend was like, I don't know how to describe this. I'm like imagining it from Rudy's perspective, like another beautiful woman who looks different and smells different. And he was just so happy. And sometimes he would come to the door, but he was very quiet in the last months, but he like bounded to the door each time a new woman would arrive and really stayed with us during the gathering. And there's a a group photo of the woman and it's a live photo and you can see Rudy's just the top <laughs> of his back like he was trying to be with us in the photo and then the my husband and our kids and my friend's husband and their son came back at the very end of the party and so not only did Rudy bless this blessing way of our friend bringing new life into the world he got to enjoy time with the little kids and time with the men and it just was a beautiful day. It was a really beautiful day. And I felt like he had so much grace that he didn't leave the day before. Because if he had left the day before, we wouldn't have done it. But he left the day after and he got to be with all of that love of new life and smell all of the lotions and the essential oils and and just take in that kind of richness of life. And so in a way, I really do feel like even to the very end, he blessed us with expansion and tenderness and and his his majesty, you know? I've been thinking and feeling a lot around poetic closings and how do we close well and how do we close well for all of us rather than just me or just you or just them and you know you're talking about like the word grace and also like the negotiations between your spirit and his spirit and your human self and his dog self it's felt like one long love affair and love is negotiation you know between two spirits, two beings, and the fact that you're still, the fact that you knew to cultivate a sensing relationship with Rudy because you knew that your energetic relationship would continue post. I think even that is, you were in practice pre so that you could be ready to receive post. Um, And that's an act of, of love. And I think from what I've heard today, 
yours and Rudy's love affair, love story started way before this lifetime. And I think from everything that I've heard, I know and believe, and I know you know and believe that it will continue. And just like we mark weddings and engagements, this feels like a moment to mark and relive and remember and honor and, you know, roll around and how much majesty <laughs> you brought into a space that feels like a thread woven throughout your whole story. And also the fact that he loved women's ankles, you know, like both of those things, <laughs> let's hold that. Yeah. 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 So thank you for walking me through probably a sliver of what Rudy means to you and is to you and will be to you and for allowing me to to hold this space and whatever this makes it out into the world I know it will be just bringing more of that majesty and essence and love thank you so so much and thank you for giving me this experience gifting me this experience and for your ability to see and recognize what would be loving and healing and integrative for me in my time of grief when I had no idea what I needed thank you and thank you for letting me remember things that I'd forgotten because that's such a gift it's one thing to tell the story that you think you're going to tell and it's another thing to be in the container and have memories step forward that I hadn't thought about in, you know, almost a decade. And I don't think I realized just how much Rudy's being evolved me. <laughs> I don't think mm. I realized that, that forming an organism together meant that I grew and changed just by his presence and his way of being and, and leading. So thank you. To our audience, I want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, share, or click the notification button on your podcast platform. For those listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for a five-star rating and a written review. This will also make it easier for other listeners to find the show. I also want to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Wilson Lynn. And I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode. <laughs>